Hey there, it's Reagan with Redeeming Productivity. So one of my goals for this year was to be more intentional with my marriage, to apply some of the principles that I've learned about being productive and planning ahead to my marriage to Kim. Because so much of our attention on productivity is focused on our work, as it should be, but if productivity is about stewardship, then our relationships should be part of the equation as well. And so in this episode, I brought on Scott Kadersha, who's the author of Ready or Not, which is a book on marriage. And he's also a member of our Redeeming Productivity Academy, and he's become a good friend over the past year. And Scott is a marriage and family pastor. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. We cover a whole range of topics in this conversation about marriage, about dating, about uh, being intentional with your spouse or your spouse-to-be, and how to have a productive marriage. I know I walked away from this conversation encouraged uh, and filled with a lot of actionable tips, and I hope the same will be true for you guys. So please enjoy this conversation with Scott Kadersha. Before we get into the episode, though, I would like to ask you a quick favor. If you're enjoying Redeeming Productivity, if you're getting value out of it, if you're entertained even, could you do me a favor and write a review? Uh, Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or somewhere else that allows reviews, just taking a couple minutes to give it a good review, say what you like about it, that does loads to help new people find the show and makes me feel really nice. So do it, please. Thank you. The other thing is I just want to say thank you to the patrons, the people who support this show via Patreon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I wouldn't be able to keep doing this or the other uh, stuff I do on biblical productivity without your help. So thank you. And if you are getting value out of this show, my newsletter, videos, or other resources, please consider becoming a supporter of Redeeming Productivity. You can do so through giving a one-time or recurring donation at redeemingproductivity.com slash donation or by joining the Redeeming Productivity Patreon at patreon.com slash redeemingprod. Okay, now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Today, I am joined by Scott Kurdersha. He's the marriage and family pastor at Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. He also writes about dating, marriage, and family relationships over at scottkurdersha.com. His book, Ready or Not, 12 Conversations Every Couple Needs to Have Before Marriage. Uh, in that, he offers biblical, practical, and authentic encouragement for couples considering marriage. And Scott has served in marriage ministry for over 15 years, so I'm excited to talk with him about how we can be productive in our marriages. So, Scott, great to have you. Welcome to the show. So good to be here. Grateful for you and excited to talk about marriage, and uh, I hope it serves uh, everyone who listens really, really well. Excited about it. Yeah, me too. Um, Just a little context for people. Uh, Scott, I mean, we've been corresponding by email for a long time. I mean, I think it's been over a year. And uh, Scott, I have a copy of Scott's book, which is wonderful. And Scott's also a part of our Redeeming Productivity Academy. So we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit in there as well. So I was very excited when you agreed to come on and do this because, man, like, I, I we'll get into some of this, but I just feel like with marriage, a lot of times we don't think about the practical side of it. 
you know, you kind of just yeah. hope things go together. Um, but maybe, maybe a good place to start with, I'll ask you this question. What, what makes you passionate about marriage and family ministry, particularly a lot, a lot of guys, they might see that or youth ministry is like a stepping stone type thing, but you, you've dedicated yourself to it and you're really in this. So what is it you like about that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the funny thing is nobody ever grows up wanting to be a marriage pastor. It's not like <laughs> my choices are I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a marriage pastor. And so I really did fall into it. You know, I became a follower of Christ later in life. It was in my mid-20s and it was already headed one direction as a physical therapist, which was a great job. I actually met my wife through it. She was one of my teachers which is a story for another day, not as scandalous <laughs> yeah. as it sounds. <laughs> but was headed to be, you know, full-time physical therapist and was for for four years full-time and worked part-time for a long time. But but in the middle of that, I became a follower of Christ. And my life was so radically changed by the gospel, by the community and the church that I became a part of that uh, it just changed, literally changed a trajectory in my life and said I wanted to go into full-time ministry. And so went to seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and, you know, thought I would be an associate pastor, do community, uh, again, family ministry, marriage ministry is not a, not a huge, uh, not a lot of churches offer marriage ministry. And so finished up at Dallas Seminary, ended up uh, taking a job at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. And the reason I went into marriage ministry is because that's the job that was available for me. And so, I mean, it was, uh, it wasn't like, I, I, that's what I was aiming for. It was, it was what they had. And, uh, and it was, I love the church. I love the team I got to work with really didn't know much about marriage ministry, but started serving there, working there primarily with newlyweds and pre-married couples and, and really, uh, you know, fell in love with it quickly. Just the, the ways that I got to serve with my wife, uh, the, uh, I think the impact that I got to see uh, happen in couples that literally people are trusting in Christ, their eternity is being changed through talking about marriage and talking about dating and talking about engagement. And, and so I started to get excited that way. I'd see couples who were who wanted to get married. I'd see them break up because they, they were unequally yoked. I saw couples who were uh, thinking about divorce actually tear up divorce papers and and decide to pursue one another together and and uh, and and just you know became a, a huge passion and the more i did it the more uh, I, I thrived in it the more i read about it the more i got to do i, I love that i get to serve with my wife uh it has a generational impact that it's not just a, a man and a woman it's your kids and your kids kids and and i believe like it, it's one of the greatest ways to see our country change is through healthy marriages. And so that that's how I fell into it. And uh, I never thought, you know, 15 years later, I'd still be doing it. I, and I, I don't see an end to it. I've had other opportunities to, to do different roles. And I've just kept coming back to marriage ministry. I'll start crying about it. I mean, it's still, uh, I'm very thankful that, um, that the Lord has led me this way and that I still get to, to do this as my job. It's, it's not always easy. It's emotionally taxing. But it's, uh, I'm really, really grateful for what I get to do serving couples. I love that. Yeah, your, your passion for it comes through. Um, and it comes through in your writing, too. Um, one of the things I've, I've seen you touch on is kind of the contrast between how Hollywood kind of talks about marriage and love in general. And 
they it's it's really like quite passive you know we talk about falling in love and just as easily you fall out of love you know or people say it's just not working anymore and it's it's very much like lack of taking responsibility you know these things are just inevitable um and there's not really an emphasis on the work involved in having a healthy romantic relationship one that leads to, to marriage and, and the sustaining a marriage afterwards what are what are some ways you think or that you've seen how even Christians can think about marriage in those sort of passive Hollywood tones. Yeah. And that, that well, it's uh, one other thought on the previous question that's connected to this is uh, we, we need voices of people who love the Lord and who care about God's design for marriage to speak about marriage. It, it's uh, it's obviously being attacked in many ways. There are so many different worldly views on marriage. It keeps evolving and changing. Yet we know God's word stands true over time. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. And uh, yet our views of marriage and culture keep changing. And so we need voices of, of people to speak rightly about marriage because Hollywood continues to hijack it. And, and then the other side of that, it's not just Hollywood's fault. It's the church has not done a great job with marriage either, right? We look at Divorce rates are, are largely similar inside the church and outside the church. And uh, and that I believe that's partly because we just don't have the right theology and thinking and, and, and even the orthopraxy, the living out of what marriage is intended to look like. Uh, the only promise about marriage, there's only one promise about marriage in the entire Bible, says that if you do marry, you will have trouble. It's that first, first Corinthians 7, 28. That's the only <laughs> thing that we're promised. Never right? thought about that that way. <laughs> That's kind of depressing, right? Like there's a, we're yeah. not promised great kids or a happy marriage or amazing sex or, you know, uh, a really well-budgeted um, uh, budget or, you know, stewards, all, stewardship, all that. None of that is promised. It's the only promise is that if you marry, you will have trouble. Uh, you know, we see Jesus says in, John 16, that in this life, you will have trouble. So we know there are going to be challenges against us. And so to just take a passive approach means that we're going to fall in, in line with what the rest of the culture and the world does. And, and you know, like anything in productivity and work and parenting and marriage, we're not going to, to drift towards health. We're going to drift towards, you know, uh, selfishness and sin and passivity and you know even was thinking through uh james 4 1 this is what causes fights and quarrels among us it's the selfish desires that wage war within us and, and when we're passive like hollywood portrays or like our selfish desires we're just going to drift in the, in the wrong direction and so we've got to be incredibly intentional uh, about the ways that we fight for our marriage and that we actively and intentionally pursue the Lord, pursue our spouse, pursue our kids. That's really good. So what does that look like? Because I, I hear I hear people say, you need to be intentional with your marriage. You need to pursue your wife. You need to you need to date her. You that that's I I hear from like the pulpits and stuff an emphasis on make sure you're being intentional. But it's 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 not uh tactical, it's not practical, yeah. it's not here's how you do that. And so what are some things we can, how can we be strategic? How can we plan to make sure that we're doing the things to have a healthy marriage? Yeah, it's great. Uh, so to hear this, I hope this doesn't sound too heretical, but the Bible doesn't talk much about marriage. And so when we, you know, when, when you hear from the pulpit, be intentional and 
pursue your spouse and, and all that in marriage. And, and you go to God's word and open it up. I'm like, what does it say about how to do that? And so it doesn't say how many nights way, a week you should go out on a date. It doesn't say that somewhere. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It none of that. It, like, here's what you should do. And here's how you love your wife. Well, I'll come back to that in a minute. There's exactly, there's no answers to all those questions we always have. How much money do we spend on our marriage? Mm-hmm. How many nights do we go out? How many kids should we have? How many friends? How do we spend our time in marriage? All that. And so um, what what I've learned over the years, like right, if you want to be intentional, it's got to start not in pursuing your spouse, but in pursuing Jesus. And so everything mm-hmm. comes out of our relationship with Christ. And so does the Bible speak about marriage? Let me come back to that mildly heretical statement. We have <laughs> Genesis 2. We have Ephesians 5. We've got the Song of Solomon. We've got random Proverbs about you know living with a cantankerous woman. We've got uh, Proverbs 31, uh, Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife uh, obtains favor from the Lord, right? And so, so there's, there's a lot. There's 1 Peter 3. The Bible's not silent, but when you look at the entirety of the scriptures, there's not a lot about marriage or not a lot about parenting, but there's a whole lot about what it's like to be in a relationship with the Lord, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I always tell couples, if you want to be intentional about having a great marriage, you start with your relationship with Christ. You address your selfishness. You work on being patient. You work on uh, on growing uh, fruit, the, you know, the fruit of the spirit, you become a servant uh, like Jesus, you work on your pride. Uh, and when you do those things intentionally, you ask God to produce the fruit in you that allows you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better child. And so start first with your relationship with the Lord. And then out of that, you will be the spouse or parent or friends that you want to be. And then be, then beyond that, there is a lot of practical, right? You, uh, one thing that, that served our family really well is we do every Sunday night for years, we have done this. I say it's the, the most important thing we do in our marriage uh, is that we just do a weekly meeting when we practically, we sit down across from one another. We both have our calendars, computers, and we go through the week. Uh, of addressing schedules and what kids have what each day, who's going to bring Lincoln to basketball practice at 630 in the morning on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, who's going to uh, pick him up from his game. Who's going to go get our other son from choir practice. Uh, we go over commitments and ministry and our life group. And uh, when she's going to be traveling out of town or I'm going to be traveling out of town. So it's got real nuts, nuts and bolts about calendar. And then we also use that time to talk about financial decisions that we know we need to make. We um, we're intentional always on trying to keep short accounts with one another, but it's also a time that we make sure that that we're good, that we're you know not harboring any uh, any bitterness or you know if we need to confess, we do it at that time. That's not the only time we do it, but that's a, a marker in our schedule to make sure that we're aligned and on the same page with one another. No, that's, that's huge. Well, I mean, you hear people say like, make sure you're communicating. And that's another one of those things like, yes, let's, but here, here you say on, on Sundays, you have this kind of backstop against you forgetting to be in touch with each other. And, you know, obviously we'll talk about dating in a little bit, but like the, there's, 
there's a lot of practicals to communicating with someone who you share your life with. And there's a lot of details. And I love that having a fixed plan for when you'll do that, that I, I imagine that bears, that probably bears unexpected fruit as well in the process, right? Often, I'm, I'm sure you guys start talking about that stuff and you get talking about uh, other parts of life. Yeah, it's not, a, you know, it's not like a business meeting that I have with my boss or our leadership team. It's it's me and my my best friend, my partner, the person I'm one flesh with, making sure that we're on mission together as a couple. And going back to what you said about communication, something that should be so easy is so difficult. And uh, like I still kind of scratch my head after 15 years. I'm like, I, I thought we would, and we are better. I think we're good at it. But but sometimes I go, I thought we would be better. And and it's because of the the busyness of life again. The uh, you know, when you, when we had kids that were the same age as yours, it feels like you are exhausted all the time. You never have a moment to yourself. You're yeah. constantly serving and doing, you know, changing diapers and, and all that. And I thought, well, it's going to be better when they're older, when they can do all those things for themselves. And and I'm still waiting for the day when it becomes easier. It's mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the pace of life. And we're, we're very intentional to say no to more than we say yes to. But you got to fight for that time to communicate with one another, to resolve conflict, to be intentional, just to keep short accounts. Uh, and and I think going back to the question you asked a few minutes ago, if you are passive, you're never going to make the time to communicate, or you're just going to communicate on details and you know business transactions almost with your spouse, and you're not going to be intentional to to be intimate with one another relationally and spiritually and emotionally. And so we've got to fight for that time. Uh, to, otherwise, it, you know, again, we're not going to drift towards it. We've got to be intentional to seek every opportunity to communicate well with one another. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Uh, let me throw you a bit of a, a curveball. Um, I'm. It just occurred to me. I'm just as I'm thinking. The as you let me think of how I say this better. just like a a company, you know, you get a bunch of people together and you're able to accomplish more as a company because you have multiple people on the same page, kind of rowing the boat in the same direction. I've found in in my marriage is having a a partner, a true partner on the same mission of glorifying God with our lives has had um, numerous productive benefits, right? And so... I'm I'm curious how how have you found being married that that partnership aspect of it that sort of um, the mission focus of your marriage how, how has how has communicating and being being intentional with each other helped you as you guys have pursued not just Christ together but ministry for Christ in in all contexts of life. So good, it's a great great curveball. Um, let me see if I can hit it or if it strikes me out. <laughs> uh, I give a, a couple thoughts on that. You know, one is that um, Kristen makes me so much better. Right? I heard. I, I don't think it was. Uh, it wasn't Gary Thomas. I've heard him say it. But uh, marriage is, is a full length mirror that your spouse holds up to you, and you see a reflection of what you look like, wow. and it reflects back on you. And so she allows me to see what I'm really like. And so, and kids do the same thing. Kids may may even do it more than 
than marriage because I've really seen how selfish I am with kids. Uh, but but Kristen, just the way that the, when, when we interact with one another is God intends, when you're one flesh, I get to see what I'm what I'm really like. You know that uh, I don't like to be inconvenienced. I like doing things my way. Um, the pride that can come out, the selfishness that can come out. And so she she helps me, and I hope I do the same for her. You know that we um, become more like Christ through marriage, and you really have a choice in that. You either see those things, and you run in the opposite direction, which again fifty percent plus of marriages are going to do, or you see those things and you go, okay, I need to go to go to war and address those uh, the, the sins, the struggles that are so apparent in my life. And so one, I think uh, she makes me better and I, hopefully I do the same for her. It's like the Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes four, you know, nine through 12, it, it just becomes this cord of three strands that's not easily broken. I'm much more easily broken on my own, but when it's me my wife and the Lord, we're much stronger and more effective in ministry. Um, the other thing I'd say is uh, my friend, Kevin Thompson, who is a pastor and a writer He's got a great marriage book. It's called Friend, Partner, and Lover. And he addresses kind of the three three aspects of marriage that come largely from Genesis 2, that there's a, a companion, there's a, the lover, which, you know, intimacy and sex and the gift that comes with that. And then the partner is, is the, the aspect that, you know, they were given a job in the garden and, and they're working in the garden. And we get to do that together in marriage as well. And so there's three aspects of it, the friend, partner, and lover allow us to be more effective as a couple than individually as well. No, I love that. Yeah. It's something I've, I've reflected on as I've, you know, studied work in the Bible and like what, and, and the, the, the creation mandate or dominion mandate, whatever you want to call it, what God put us here to do is you hear, you hear, you know, in, in Genesis, when it talks about that Eve was given Adam as a helper. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't pause to think to help with what? to help with the work, to help with the task that God had given him. And there, yeah. and that is part of God's design for marriage that can sometimes get overlooked. Cause you, I mean, you're, you're thinking, I don't know. And maybe this is one of the core problems is we think in terms of, um, personal benefit. How does this person, you complete me, you know, how do you fulfill me? And, and instead of serving that person and then also serving the Lord together with them. Yeah. There's a, there's a new book that came out, but it's a guy named Eli Finkel. It's not a Christian book, but um, it's called the all or nothing marriage. And he actually talks about that exact thing. You just said, Reagan, that uh, in the past marriage was designed or not designed, but we lived out marriage because we realized we needed uh, that God, we needed the companionship that we were better together, but marriage over the years has evolved through culture and society to be, I need marriage to satisfy my needs and it's all about me and it's changed the way that we view marriage. And so you, you, you nailed that. It's, it's really evolved, unfortunately, into something that's what can benefit me and say, instead of saying what's good for us and what's good for society and, and the body of Christ. In your book, ready or not, it's kind of geared towards people who are looking, looking at marriage um, and evaluating things. I think there's, there's definitely things that are applicable, even if you already are married, but I imagine you do marriage counseling as part of your, I do. yeah, I imagine you do a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. What, what are some mistakes you see, um, newlyweds and even couples that are looking towards getting marriage? What, what are, what are some things you see come up a lot? 
Yeah, I think, and this will be so good just for, because we, you know, we talk a lot about habits in the, in the uh, community, um, productivity, all that. And this is so related to it. But, but one of the biggest mistakes I see is couples are not establishing good habits from the beginning. And so they go from, you know, fortunately, a lot of them live together before married. But even if you do things the right way and you stayed pure before marriage and you, you wait to um, move in together until after you get married, if couples don't start putting good habits in from the beginning, it becomes harder to change down the road. And so things like praying together, you know, I, I am, um, it's been ironically just a, a big struggle for us in our marriage because, and I almost feel like hypocrite or gross admitting this as a marriage pastor, but, but I'll be, excuse me, I want to be authentic. You know, it's been, we did not do that for years on a consistent basis. And so as, we have tried to add praying together into our marriage over the years. It becomes increasingly more challenging mm -hmm. because we are in rhythms and habits uh, that we have had for years. And so fortunately we're, we're like, we're being much more intentional. We're doing better than ever in that. But, but I think it would have been much easier if we started doing that from, from day one, uh, similar, um, you know, the, the gift of community and friendships and, and it's easy just to, enjoy being together and isolating and not really having other friends who are going to sharpen you and help you and, and hopefully who you would do the same for them. And so just not having community, not getting plugged into the body of Christ. So uh, way too often a couple will come to the church for marriage prep and for someone to marry them. And then they get married and they isolate for years. And then they have a baby years, you know, a couple of years later, and then they start going back to church again, but then, they have the baby and it becomes too hard. And so they just, you know, they're, they're not in the habit of being a part of the body of Christ. And so, uh, you know, not praying together, not being a part of the community, not going to church together. I'd say not addressing sin struggles uh, and just being complacent with them. Um, and, and then the last, I mean, there's many I can say, but uh, another one that comes to mind is that couples either spend too much time together and so they don't have any friendships or they're too, selfish and they kind of evolve into two different lives that he's got his stuff he does he golfs he hunts she's got her stuff that she does and it's almost like they're living parallel and separate lives instead of being one flesh with each other hmm. yeah i heard i'd never heard this expression before but i heard it in a movie or something the other day um about becoming a uh a golf widow that that and, would happen even in retirement um that you know a couple retires husband's spent his whole life on his career, his friends, his family, or his, you know, his kind of circles. And then they go to a retirement community and he spends all day on the golf course. And she thought they were going to spend their golden years together. Yeah. Um, but she's still, you know, all that time she, he'd put it in the office. It's like, he's still there. And that, that that's, yeah. that's tragic, but it's probably a lot of the same stuff. Those habits you establish are going to carry on even when you have free time in your latter years. Yeah. And I, and that, I mean, a lot, it's so good. And similar you know but different is is that we focus can focus so much on our kids when we start having kids mm -hmm. and then similar you get to the end of that time and the, the golden years and it should be the empty nest and and you've got we've heard the story way too many times i've seen it way too many times of you know the kids leave the house go to college and mom and dad get divorced mm -hmm. and i'm like surely that doesn't happen but it happens all the time because they mm -hmm. focused on 
the kids, which you need to do, right? You, you know, your your uh, one year old, you know, she's not Ruby's not going to feed herself. She's not going <laughs> to yeah. change her own diaper. <laughs> she's not going to drive herself. So you have to. But when we keep putting all of our efforts towards our kids, and you kind of wake up one day, well, the kids are gone. We have nothing. It's so sad, and it's it's like we have our golf game and tennis, you know, and that's all we have. And so we've got to. Uh, it is a tragedy, and I'm like, I've never heard that phrase either, the golf widow, but that fits so well. Hmm. This is related, and this is really just to satisfy my own curiosity. It's another curveball, <laughs> but. Um, one thing I've, I've observed anecdotally, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is um, I got my wife and I got married relatively young. I was 25. She was 21. Um, a lot of our friend group were married early 20s. Um, but some of my friends were married later in life. Um, not that much later, but into their 30s and stuff. And I observed that there were, they seemed to have unique difficulties in sort of reconciling these two different lives with each other. Obviously getting married young, you know, we had a lot of immaturity. They, these people had more maturity, more experience, but it seemed like there was, there's sort of a different set of problems you face, whether you get married young or uh, a little bit later in life. Have you observed that sort of phenomenon? Yeah, that's so good. And it's, uh, it's a real cultural challenge too now, right? With the average age, and I, I can't give the exact numbers, but the curve, I mean, it's going up and to the right, the average age of marriage for men and for women. And it doesn't seem to be changing. It, it just keeps getting greater and greater. You know, the, the number keeps going up and up and up. I think that's for a few reasons. And then I'll get, I'll answer your question. One, I think it's because uh, we believe or couples believe um, that marriage isn't fun that it's like you suck all the fun out of life and then when you've done everything then you get married mm -hmm. you know i'm going to buy the nice car i'm going to get promoted at work i'm going to go take the trip to europe i'm going to get the dog on my own and then when i've exhausted all the fun in life then i guess i'll get married because there's nothing else to do which which is so unfortunate that mentality mm -hmm. uh and i think part of the reason why couples think that is because the church has not done a good job of talking about marriage that we don't talk about the great parts of marriage enough. We just talk about how hard it is. And so yeah. if I'm a single person who is, uh, who's having a lot of fun and, and maybe I'm involved in a relationship and all I hear about from my married friends is how difficult it is. Why would I ever want that? And so one of my, you know, the drum I keep beating is that the church and followers of Christ have, we have to talk about yes marriage is hard but let's not just talk about that let's talk about the great parts of it as well so yeah. that's part of the reason why we are where we are but in terms of the challenges that that older uh you know and like the older's not whatever that number is but late 20s early 30s you just you're a step you've got more time of being on your own more time to establish uh your rhythms and uh your preferences and your desires. And so the older I become, the more set in my ways I become. And so if somebody who is more set in their ways, marry somebody else who's more set in their ways, <laughs> you're guaranteed to clash. Whereas like you said, when you're 21, 22, 25, you haven't had as much time. You're, you're young and you're foolish and you're still trying to figure things out, but at least you're figuring them out together. I think that's the problem that's a little bit easier to solve rather than being two people who are so set in their ways. And, uh, and, and clearly it's the, it, that's the direction we continue to head. 
Uh, and I think partly why it makes marriage more challenging for couples at times is because we're so established in our preferences and desires, it becomes harder to change. Mm-hmm. Well said. You, you, you talked about people saying marriage was hard. It's, it's a joke between my wife and I that when we got married, we were literally... I'm not joking. We were surprised by how easy it was. Now it doesn't, yeah. you know, we were, we try to be intentional. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't try to be intentional, but we were genuinely surprised because the message we had heard, you know, you get an older guy at the church, slap you on the shoulder, be like, guys, marriage is hard. And you're like, Oh man, this sounds awful. What am I signing up for? <laughs> um, but I do, I mean, I, I agree with you. Uh, we need, we need to balance that message. We need to balance that message because it is an incredible gift from the Lord. Um, but it does require intentionality for sure. And same with kids, right? I think we do the same thing with kids that we talk about how hard parenting is. It's, and and I would be lying if I didn't say it wasn't the hardest thing I have ever done is raising kids. It's such a challenge. But on the, you know, the, the opposite side of that is we're about to, a couple of our kids are about to leave the home and go to college. We've got twins who are 17. Like it is so worth it. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from following Jesus and my marriage, having these kids in the home, is uh, is the the great you know the third greatest source of joy in my life. And and almost I, we've got four kids, which is a lot. I must go. I wish we had more of them because of how mm-hmm. how much we enjoy one another and the relationships and, uh, and and but yet all we talk about is how hard parenting is. Yeah, and it is. No, that's yeah. true. Now. Uh, I kind of touched on this earlier that we would get to this dating your spouse. This is, this is again, one of those things, just my opinion, but I just, I've heard it my whole married life and it's always so vague. What does it look like to date your spouse? What are like, what are practical ways you can actually do this? What's my, what's my flower budget going to (laughs) be? You know, what, how do you, how do you do this? What what does that look like? (laughs) Yeah. This is one that that, that you said before, right? There's that, how many? How much money should we spend on flowers? Well, it's a that's a Reagan three Reagan three sixteen, and you know <laughs> yeah. Scott Scott three in the Bible tells you how often you should your spouse. There's, there's really nothing, and and so again, we're kind of left largely on our own to figure some of this out. But um, a few a few verses come to mind. One is definitely First Peter three seven. You know, it says, "Husband, love your wife in an understanding way," or sorry, live with your spouse in an understanding way. And that principle really goes both ways, and that. I'm not going to necessarily follow what the world says a date night is. I'm going to do what's going to serve my spouse really well, what, what's going to serve our marriage well. And so I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about this. So I'll just give a, a bunch of random thoughts. And I actually have a, a date night guide on my blog. It's called 124 Killer Date Night Ideas, just to give couples some, you know, a whole list of things to think through and different challenges, different creative ways to pursue one another. And so, you know, again, there's no biblical mandate that says you have to do it, but but it does give you time to have fun, to be intentional, to get some one-on-one time with one another apart from kids, apart from work, apart from our phones. Um, we found a really a couple of really fun, creative ways to do it. When your kids are in school, we've, we've learned the art of the day date. And so um, it's a great way to spend a vacation day. You've got built-in, quote-unquote, babysitting by, <laughs> by schools. If your kids are, you know, private or public school, they're they're with. Obviously, it's not babysitting, but they're occupied from 
eight in the morning till three. It's more uh, expensive to go out at night, so you get a cheaper lunch. There's some things that are only open during the day. So, like we found a couple of museums that aren't open at night, but they're open during the day. Uh, you can take a nap at home. You can watch a movie at home. You can be intimate with one another at home during the day, uh, and that's not part of every day date we have, but but we get that benefit and privilege of, of not being late at night, not having kids around. Um, we, we do, we take turns planning it. And so one time I'll plan one time, Kristen will plan. Um, when you got young kids at home dates are fantastic. Uh, you know, so, you know, put kids to bed and then get takeout, get a board game, watch a show together, sit down and have a conversation uh, challenge each other creatively to do a great at-home date. Uh, another one that's that's a great when you got young kids is to find another couple who has young kids. And when they go out on a date, you watch their kids. When you go on a date, they watch yours. That that saves you thirty yes. to fifty dollars right off the bat. And your and, kids you know, have a have a fun play date every every other time too, which is cool. They do. Yes. Yeah. That which is so helpful. And you know when we were in seminary and when i was even full-time ministry we don't we don't have a ton of money for for day nights and you know we're, we're fine but we're not we're also not loaded and so if we can find some way to save forty dollars on a day night that's a huge win so looking for ways to be uh cost effective the, the other is i think we have in our in our mind that if you're going to go on a date it has to be the fanciest dinner mm -hmm. you know we've got a great steakhouse here and in Waco and, and yes, that's a great date night, but that's like a once every six months or once a year date going to Chick-fil-A and enjoying a meal together or a cup of coffee at a, at a coffee shop is just as good of a date potentially as anything else. And so reframing the idea of dating your spouse and it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be expensive, uh, being intentional, doing things that are going to serve your spouse well. Oh, one other thought is I think outdoor dates are great if you can do something that's a little bit of an adventure, that's active, that's outside the norm, and, and then just trying to get out of the rut of dinner and a movie, dinner and a movie, mm -hmm. dinner and a movie. Whereas, you know, during uh, the pandemic and quarantine, couples had a lot of trouble figuring out what to do because they couldn't go to a movie and they couldn't do dinner. And so <laughs> I think it, it forced people to kind of get out of their comfort zone and do something different and unique. So give a lot more thoughts oh, well, i'd say one other sorry i know you keep saying that is you know i think the five love languages are helpful you know so quality time uh, uh words of affirmation um, gifts physical touch acts of service and so if your spouse is a quality time person when it's your turn to plan a date you do something that's a quality time date and so maybe a progressive dinner or a longer date than usual uh if, if your spouse likes gifts then you put a you know, when you go out to the car, there's a gift waiting for them on the front seat. If they're words of affirmation, when you go out on a date, you write a letter to them and you read that letter to them. Just being intentional on yeah. like what's going to show that you're you care about them and you know them. Not just taking them to the latest Avengers movie every single time. Right, well, <laughs> Doing which, something you which, want to do. <laughs> yeah, which is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> We've already seen it four times. I know, but I want to see it again. <laughs> Sorry. Do do you guys have like um 
a regular cadence to to that? Like, do you shoot for once a month or every other week? Or what do you do? It's a great question. So some people will try to like prescribe that if you're a good husband or a good wife, you have to date each other weekly. And I, you know, that's I just go, okay. Show me where it says that biblically. Like, let's not let's not put rules around something where there's no rules. And so, like, you figure out what cadence works for you and what works for your spouse. We tried like a, a good rhythm for us is two times a month. We go out, you know, on, on a, on a date night, just the two of us. Um, and then we get like, we try to schedule one or two lunches a month. And then a great thing that works really well for us is that I'm off on Fridays. Kristen's uh, off on Friday. She works part-time as a physical therapist. And so one or two Fridays a month, our schedules align that we're both off. And so that that's become a great date day for us is, you know, coffee, we go out, we might go see a movie, we might just hang out at home, just be intentional. And so that that's Scott and Kristen, but I, but I think every, everyone listening, you figure out what works for you. Don't let somebody put a rule on you that's not mandated scripturally. And, and, and then the other thing I'd say is, uh, is don't, don't be lazy and passive about it. Fight for it and make it a priority. That's really good. How about you? Do you have any kind of rhythm that, that I'm trying to out? figure that out? Honestly, so my my wife and I we were married. We've been married for ten years, and we my my oldest is just about to turn three. So we've spent what seven years kidless, and we worked together for many of those years. And four of those years, we lived in an RV together. Like we spent every waking moment together. We had so much fun. We you know wonderful. And so like, there's kind of like our marriage, there's two, there's been two phases. There's been the, the pre-kids and the post-kids. And as you mentioned, especially with these young kids, there's just so much to do. It's hard to get in a moment between the two of us. And so we're trying right now, which is, you know, I'm taking copious notes <laughs> as you're talking, trying to be more intentional with making sure that we don't go months and months and months without doing something, just the two of us. Yeah. Um, and thankfully now we have grandparents, um, here in Michigan that we've moved back. Uh, so we have sort of free babysitting and things, but yeah. I, I want to get something I've tried, I've put it, I've put in the goal of having once a month at least, you know, kind of as a backstop. So don't forget about it, but I'd like to do it more regularly, but it requires, so we've been talking about intentionality and planning yeah. and actually looking ahead and talking, okay, can someone watch the kids? How does this work? Um, so you've given me a lot of good ideas. It's good. Hey, let me, I'll give you one more really fun, practical idea yeah. I learned a long time ago is uh, you take a, you know, water bottle that the you know, plastic water bottle, you know, you put any kind, it doesn't matter, let it dry out. And then, um, and then we took a bunch of small slips of paper and wrote about like 30 different ideas on them. And so they were things like, uh, go to Target and buy a, a new board game, uh, do a puzzle together, watch, um, you know, Scott's favorite, ep- two favorite episodes of The Office, um, bake cookies together. And so like 30 different slips of paper, put them in the bottle, put the top on them. And when we have a scheduled date night at home, this is great for young kids. You just shake the bottle and then you pull one slip of paper out and you do that. And so that, that built a little bit of spontaneity it was something we could do when the kids were down it didn't cost hardly any money uh, and we still did we don't use the bottle anymore but like i just bought two new board games today that and i got them for for day nights we're not huge 
like we don't play games a ton, but they're, I think they're always fun. And so uh, something like that where you're getting you pre-planned dates, but you, you allow a little bit of luck and spontaneity come in. That served us really well when we had kids at home and didn't have a lot of money. No, I love that. Um, I have a question about the the difference with how being intentional in a relationship looks for a husband versus a wife. Like, you know, in scripture, there, there are, there's clearly different roles. You know, the, the husband is, is the leader. Um, you know, even you think Ephesians 5, you know, the, the husband, you know, th- loves his wife, gives himself for her. She, she respects her husband. You know, there's, there's those different elements. And sometimes I'd go to like a men's retreat or, or men's seminar thing. And the, you get the feeling that the entire weight of the relationship and it's, um, uh, the growth of it is on you as the man. And you've talked about a little bit about how, you know, you guys trade on and off with date nights, but is, is there a difference in, in your role as a husband versus your wife? Um, how does, how does that look depending on your gender? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I'll give a couple of thoughts on that. One is, um, is I don't like, uh, and this is different than what you asked, but gender stereotypes that would say all guys like to do this, all women like to do that, mm-hmm. all men like sports and meat and steak and don't have emotions, and all women are emotional and shop and just want to sit on the couch and talk all day. All guys, all they want to do is have sex. All women never want to have sex. All of that is so destructive and, and hurtful and and even if it leans one way more than the other, that doesn't mean it's true for every marriage or every individual. And so quick You're individuals, the two of you are two individuals. That's right. That's right. And so if, if I follow the world's counsel on a date and this is what a guy wants to do, that may not serve this husband really well. Uh, you know, the, the idea that men are not emotional and women are, I'm the highly emotional one in, in our marriage. Kristen is much more steady. I'm highly emotional. That's a God given personality and trait that the Lord has given us that I have, uh, that doesn't mean she's not, a, she doesn't have emotions and she doesn't have feelings, but I'm, but I break the stereotype. So, so I'm always careful to say, uh, don't believe the world's stereotypes on what would serve you well in your marriage. You are two individuals as you just said. I do think that because of Ephesians five, that, that God has established the role of the husband is the leader of the relationship, and so he loves like Christ. He leads like a servant. Her role is to be a constant source of love and encouragement and to, to hopefully joyfully submit to his leadership because he leads really well. And so ultimately, I, I believe that means that the husband is responsible for the direction of the relationship and should be the one who is more intentional about making sure that this is a priority in the, in the marriage. But both husband and wife need to need to be a part of that as well. Her role is to be is to complete him, and and so that doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't mean he's incomplete on his own. That's you know Genesis two. He needs a companion, and so she comes along to help make him better. And so both husband and wife have a role in making this a priority. But ultimately, I, I believe the Lord would say the husband is more responsible because of the role that he's been given as the husband. That's really good. Um, we've touched on finances a little bit, um, but you know, you read anything on on marriage or, or statistics on divorce, and it seems that 
financial issues are often a very common uh, are cited as a common source of um, conflict in marriages. How do money issues tend to affect marriages, maybe both directions, right? Whether you have money or you don't have a lot of money. And what are some ways that we can kind of mitigate that or get out ahead of those potential financial uh, sources of disagreement? Yeah. So it's, it's certainly right. It shows up at the, you know, the top of every list, the top two or three reasons why couples end up getting divorced because of financial issues. You know, we come from different backgrounds. So, you know, Kristen, left her home with a literally a 10 page single space document from her dad on investing and saving and debt and uh, generosity just was really, wow. really well prepared. A uh, little bit of a military background, financial planner, incredibly, incredibly wise. Uh, my family, my dad had died at, at a young age, mom remarried. And, uh, my stepdad has now passed on that he was a great guy, but he wasn't the one to do that. My mom wasn't the one to do that. And so I did whatever I wanted financially. And, and apart from Christ, if you've got somebody who's got a bunch of debt and a, you know, way in over their head with home and car, and they marry somebody who is incredibly wise and a good steward and detail oriented, you're going to be set to, you know, for all kinds of ruin in your marriage when it comes to money. So that that's a, a lot of couples will come in with very different backgrounds. Some like to spend, some like to save. Money is, is very emotional. Uh, we're driven by work, and so sometimes financial challenges can lead me to work more and more and more to try to keep up with the Joneses or just to make ends meet, which means I'm not around my wife or my kids or I'm not around my husband or my kids. You know, one other big factor I see is that when uh, we're supposed to be one flesh with each other, that's Genesis 2, it's Ephesians 5, it's Matthew 19, over and over and over and over. But yet couples will have two separate bank accounts that like he has his finances and she has hers. And that's not one flesh at all. And where that's dangerous is you begin to view money as my money and my spouse's money. And, you know, let's say I make, uh, three or four times as much as my wife does. And so like, what a horrible husband I would be. I'd be evil. If I said, you get to spend 20% on you and I get to spend 80% on me. But that that's kind of what happens when we have different finances. When I've got my account and my wife has hers, we're not one flesh. That That's where it becomes really easy to hide what I'm spending my money on. And so I could be buying money for flowers, but not for Kristen. But for, you know, a little relationship on the side and my wife would have no idea. And so it becomes easier to hide from one another. You're not aligned. You're not working together. Uh, it, it becomes it, it's uh, it, it is cons- my, what my experience has lived up to what I see in, in statistics and studies that finances and a lack of alignment on them are often one of the biggest drivers in divorce. Hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned during your your Sunday was it Sundays that you guys have your your meeting? You mentioned talk discussing purchases. So you, was that a time you look at budget things like that? You're kind of being in communication regularly about the finances. Yeah, so that's it's a it's a daily conversation on purchases, but that is a time that's more intentional to be bigger picture. And that one's probably every it's not every week, but um, mostly when I want to make sure that we're aligned on some decisions we have coming up. Um, Oh, the, and I'd also say this too, just a little, another strategy to help in marriages. 
when it comes to dating and um, anniversaries is, is making sure that you have some kind of budget for your marriage. And so that might be paying for a babysitter, might be paying for date nights. That's something that we often forget hmm. to include in the budget. Yeah, like same way you might save up for Christmas, you should yes. set aside a line item for that. That's I do not have that. That's a great idea. Exactly. And then we, we just celebrated 20 years in September. And so for about two years, I, I put a little bit of money aside every month just to build up, uh, you know, and we, we so any speaking opportunity I had went into this account, a little bit of money every month. And so we were able to go on a, a really great trip for our 20th anniversary that we're not going to do for our 19th. We're not going to do for our 21st, yeah. but that was a, another separate line item in the budget was really thinking through how do we have a, a great celebration for our 20th anniversary. I love that. So practical. This is, this has been so, so helpful to me personally, Scott, hopefully for the people who are listening too, but even if no one listens to it, I, I've been blessed by the conversation and I've been blessed by your, your friendship and your ministry as well. Um, the, your website is Scott Kadersha. Is that how you say it? I should have asked you this before we started. Kadersha. You did. Yeah. You got it right. That's right. Awesome. Well done. Yeah. And that's, that's K-E-D-E-R-S-H-A.com, Scott Kadersha. I'll, uh, I'll include a link to that as well. And the book is Ready or Not, K-N-O-T. I like that. <laughs> Ready yeah. or Not by Scott Kadersha. And you can find that. And I'll have a link to that as well. Um, Scott, before I, I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to add or anything else you'd like to say on the topic of, of marriage and, and family? No, I just, um, yes, I would say just... Uh, Thank you for making this a priority. And, and uh, what I'm encouraged by Reagan is, is, you know, your your podcast is, to, is redeeming productivity. And most people would not think about relationships in that. And so um, you are a blessing to, to me and to many who listen. And even thinking outside the box of productivity is not just our calendar and our priorities at work or around the house. It's the priority of the most important human relationship that we have on the planet. So thanks for the way that you lead all of us and help us think strategically about uh, about our relationship in marriage and with kids and family. So, so grateful for you. Appreciate that, brother. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, hopefully we'll talk again real soon here. Sounds great. For more productivity from a Christian worldview, check out my weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. Every Thursday, I share an insight along with the five best links I found that week that I think will help you in your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. It's totally free. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to sign up for Reagan's Roundup. That's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com.